Hello everyone, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Sorry about the uh, delay in posting yet again. I was in Seattle last week for my Socially Inept Tech Roast Show, which is actually doing pretty well. It seems to be taking off. We sold 180 tickets in Seattle last week, and we're doing another show this month in San Francisco. Uh, check out Socially Inept Tech Roast Show. We get people that work in tech and we roast them. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it might be in your city, wherever you are, coming soon, because we're going to expand it throughout the country. But anyway, uh, this podcast interview I recently did on Tuesday was a lot of fun. I interviewed Neil Nanda. He's done a lot of TV work. He's a working comic. Uh, He runs a very popular stand-up comedy show at a Westside Comedy Theater. And we talk a lot about marketing, entrepreneurial hustle, uh, how he stopped doing mics and does shows now. Um... How he is consistently, you know, selling 100 to 300 tickets and headlining comedy clubs. How did he do that? We're going to find out. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And we also talk about how he got his first TV gig without an agent or manager yet. So this is all cool stuff. And I know you guys are going to love this one. This was a very, very informative one for me. And I really enjoyed it. And I hope you will, too. Sweet. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast, episode 40. I'm sitting here with Neil Nanda, a headlining comic from Atlanta, Georgia. He's performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Comedy Central's Adam Devine's House Party, Amazon, Hulu, Viceland, you name it. He's done a ton of stuff. And uh, he's here today. Thanks for doing the podcast, man. Yo, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you coming all the way out to North Hollywood. I appreciate you making me a latte, man. Of course, it has wow. no sugar, so it's probably a terrible latte, but it'll it should do the job. It's not bad. It's really? not bad. Yeah, it's it's a solid B plus. Solid <laughs> it's definitely like a B plus. It's latte. a B plus. It's not it's not an A. I would like some sugar, but it's it's you know it's not bad. I like it. It's working. I'm waking up. I recently started doing like this slow carb diet where you don't have. Like for six days of the week, you don't have um like white carbs and Word. like milk and stuff like that because apparently like I feel like it's really bro science stuff. Like it spikes your insulin and then it like it's, it makes you fat. That's cool. If you don't have any carbs for your guests though, I mean, come um, on. I should do that. You I'm, should, I'm thinking yeah. like I can't have an espresso machine and then just be like, do you want to try like this weird like unsweetened ass right. shit that I have? No, nah, it's cool. I'm kidding. Uh, I think it's weird. I mean, it, if you had car- <laughs> if you had carbs for your guests, you'd probably eat it. I would probably eat it. I yeah. have, um, well, almond butter. It's good, but it's not carbs. Word. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to have to get some uh, normal milk for the guests. Probably not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Sugar. Yeah, it's only $1.99. I know, it's like $1.99. I literally just made chili, like canned chili. Like, that's how exciting my lunch is. Wow, I'm not eating lunch here. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Chick-fil-A immediately. Dude, Chick-fil-A is really good. I know, man. I was craving it yesterday. Goddamn Sunday. Literally goddamn Sunday. Oh, yeah. It's closed, right? Yeah, Because of the religious, they're religious Woo! people. Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, where it's from. So, yeah, it's uh, it was a tragedy every Sunday. Dude, that's right. And you only crave it on Sundays. You only, only crave it. Only when you can't. Yep. You want what you can't have. So, dude, you're really interesting. I mean, you are... <clears throat> to you. To me, yes. And uh, to all the people... Who you fill up uh, by headlining these uh, big shows we were just talking about. I think that's so cool that you're doing that. 
I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, it's been a fun road, man, and I'm glad that I can finally do it. Um, and dude, it's it's insane. It's uh, it, it's not lost on me either. Like even this weekend was not lost on me. The fact that I did um, I headlined at the Madhouse and or not sorry not the Madhouse. Um, I headlined the Comedy Palace in San Diego. I headlined the Madhouse a few months ago, but I I headlined the Comedy Palace Saturday two nights ago and sold 400 seats. Um, I did wow, which was insane. It's crazy. I did Brea Improv yesterday, around between four and five hundred seats. Uh, sold out. Not sold. That one wasn't sold out. A uh, Comedy Palace was sold out. Oh, you mean? But Brea Improv has more than five hundred seats there. I think so. It's huge. Um, it wasn't Whoa. sold out. There were definitely some empty seats. Um, I think that venue is like six, seven hundred or something. It's like that's it's, insane. It's that's where a huge like, comedy club. It's a, it's ginormous. It's where like Eliza Schlesinger and like Sebastian headline and stuff when they're in Brea or when they're in the area. Yeah. Uh, like Tom Segura, like the huge people. So I did like a Sunday night. And um, I'm I can't even believe there were that many four four to five hundred people there. I can't believe they came out. So it's not lost on me, man. This weekend was a reminder that I get to do something pretty cool. I get to talk about my dick for an hour, and people pay money to see it. That's insane. Wait, and- so I'm so interested in like how the process like goes for like selling out a venue like that. So like. Are you, do you have agents that are like negotiating these deals on your behalf or are you calling them up? Like, I'm pretty much booking, I'm booking most of the stuff I do. Uh, my agents book like one off gigs, colleges, corporates. Uh, every once in a while, they book a weekend at a club or um, a, a one nighter at like a, a rock venue or something, a rock club or something. But I'm pretty much, I've been, so I've been doing this for almost a decade. I travel so much, meet people. I feature for a lot of comics. I've, How old are you? I'm 29. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, you I've been started when you were 19. You I said. started when I was 19 in Atlanta, and um, because I've just been around so much, I've met the bookers and um, because from traveling, it's all uh, you know. Um, it, it's all like really. I don't know the I don't know why I can't think of the word, but like you know, ground marketing of like meeting people, getting Instagram followers, email lists, things like that to try to sell out these venues. Like San Diego, for example, I did a cruise in San Diego. I I did a thing called the Groove Cruise, which was an EDM festival cruise, and I was like, this is gonna be fucking horrible. There's gonna be a bunch of people on Molly at my show gonna be like a dude like having a seizure in the middle of my set i thought i was gonna be <laughs> i thought i was gonna be horrible it ended up being amazing they ended up being incredible crowds and it was a four thousand seat cruise or four Jeez. not seat cruise sorry four thousand person cruise the the venue that i did was around like 500 seats or something and they really packed it out and the cool thing about doing the cruise i did multiple shows and the cool thing about doing the cruise was that Usually I'll do a show and then say bye to everybody and go home. But on a cruise, we're all hanging out on a ship. So for an entire four or five days, I'm hanging out with these people. I'm getting their info. We're like hanging out. So I got a bunch of like Instagram followers. I got an email list. I sold some merch to these people. And they ended up becoming loyal fans. That's so cool. And they were like, it was docked out of San Diego. So a bunch of people from San Diego come out to my shows now from the cruise. Um, People came down from the Bay and from Los Angeles. So now in LA and in the Bay, I have a lot of people from the cruise that come out. And, um, you know, also just doing shows in 
those cities, I, I you know, I when I do a venue and it, and it packs out or it sells out, I make sure to get everyone's information, email list, things like that. So when I come back, I can sell it out again. So um, that that's an element. There's also I do you know digital marketing uh, in terms of like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, stuff like that. Also sells some tickets, and then just clubs also have. A bit of a draw you know like like a built-in draw right a built-in draw like the bray improv probably there's probably 200 uh, of those 500 people that were there last night 200 of those people probably just like oh let's go to a comedy club yeah like, like they already go yeah they're exactly. patron they have a legacy there exactly like the the 400 seats i sold in san diego on saturday i'm sure 200 250 of them were just like oh let's go to the comedy club yeah you know so it's not all me you know, it's not just you know my name and my draw. I'm not like a I'm not like a Hannibal Burris or somebody who like where it's like oh everyone's here to see Hannibal Burris or an yeah. Ali Wong or something like that. That takes such a long time to get to and so much work. But I'm working on it. Is what I'm doing. It's a cool way to build the loyal fan base. Literally hanging out with them and it's getting really a cool. good start. Like and that. they're really cool people, man. It was such an eye opening experience because I was like oh fuck I'm gonna be working with a bunch of like neon thongs and yeah. a bunch of like you know a like, bunch what of like is this gonna be? right a bunch of burnout on drugs everyone i thought they would be like burnt out and like passed out but now this is your loyal fan base they're so cool and i'm excited because i'm gonna be i'm trying to book another one right now another so, cruise another another groove cruise fingers crossed i'm gonna i'm literally willing to do it I, I mean i hope the dude doesn't listen to the podcast but uh <laughs> i'm willing to do it for like mad cheap on the absolute like pretty much free because it really was a great way to build a fan base and you know i could sell merch i can you know meet people um it's I can, so funny how that's your demographic yeah. right just groove cruise it's not just i mean it's not just them <laughs> yeah of there's course. also i'm indian i have a big indian community following which is really cool i fought uh, I fought. I really tried to stray away from that for a long time, but it's so cool how loyal, um, you know, my culture is. And I make so many. I, I was always like, oh, I don't want Indian people at my shows because half of my act is making fun of our culture, you know. And I'm like, what if they hate it? But they get it. They understand it's a joke. They understand that I'm fucking around. They understand, yeah. and they're like, they have very similar experiences that I've had growing up, so they can relate. And so that's really cool too to see, like you know, a good like chunk, 25, 30% of my audience being, uh, you know, not even just Indian, Asian in general, yeah. Asian population. So it's really cool to see that. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I don't literally just have group cruise fans, but that yeah, did happen. Course. I did do the cruise one time and I made a lot of loyal fans and I really appreciate them. They're the nicest, coolest, most loyal people. And I was so skeptic about doing a cruise so funny. in general and i was very skeptic about doing an edm cruise of all cruises and if, if you're listening you don't know what edm is it stands for ecstasy dependent music <laughs> <laughs> that's the literal translation Tra literal translation dude that's so cool so do you think that the um indian fans you have are more like you like i guess i'm assuming you're american Westernized, indian yeah. yeah um yeah i was born here and i think that generally i have um, more westernized fan, and like I like I said, I strayed away from it for a while. I was such a hater, and I was such a hater of the culture because I was afraid that um, I had done Indian specific shows where it wasn't people like me. There were like people who like just got here, like oh yeah, like just got off the plane, and uh, you know 
I was I did shows for crowds like that and never really went well. It would it, the thing is they would see me in them or they would see me they would be like oh that's like my son or like my or like my cousin or my whatever so when i would get like really dirty especially the older indian crowds would be like oh, hi hi which is like that's like oh my god yeah. in hindi and uh they'd be like oh, hi hi you know like they'd get like really offended and upset and i remember being like you know what i don't want these fans yeah i don't want these people to come to my shows for, so for a long time i strayed away from it but then i realized there's a, there's a billion of us we won't stop and there's fucking. a demographic that like yeah, speaks to you. Like yes, you exactly. Speak to, I mean. That relates to me. And there's a demographic of people that are like me. I mean, I grew up with a lot of kids that were like me in the South. I meet a lot of people that are like me all around the country when I travel, when I go to Denver or Portland or Atlanta or Chicago or wherever. I run into people who I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just like me. And you think like me and you understand my sense of humor and my sensibilities and you relate to my background and my stories. Yeah. So, um I, that's the I, fan you want. Yeah, and that's the fan I want. And honestly, I want I'm, the fans I want are anybody who enjoys my comedy, anybody who laughs. I don't care who. It's like that Backstreet Boys song, you know. It doesn't matter who you are, what you oh, did, where you're from, as long as you love me. You oh, know? that's beautiful. Which it is beautiful, but also like, hey, Backstreet Boys, what if that dude's a pedophile? What if that dude, you know, yeah. you know, I, I, you should care. You should care what they did. Okay, that's all I'm saying. But yeah, I always think about the that Backstreet Boys song. I don't know why I always think about the Backstreet Boys. Um, first concert, by the way, that oh, I wow. went to fourth grade. Yeah, Nick Carter's birthday too. Oh. Pretty tight. Um, hey, by the way, I accidentally said American Indian. I realized oh, no. I meant Indian American. I, I think what you meant. Do you identify was, as Indian American? Uh, no, I'm just Indian. I'm from like Indi- my family's from India. Oh, so you're actually from India. My family's from India. Your family's I was from born India. in Atlanta. Um, I would consider myself, yeah, Indian uh, culturally and just American by you know by being born here. By being born in Atlanta, and uh, yeah, my family's from India, and um, I'm not like Native American Indian. Yeah, yeah, that's um, all what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, yeah, yeah. I just spoke too fast. Oh no worries. And I think what you meant was that I'm I'm more Westernized that like my culture because you know like um, just. I'm sure. Have you seen my comedy? Have, we, have you watched it at all? I've seen some of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to like get into it. But like you've heard my comedy. It's not like Indian specific or anything. It's, it is Westernized. And uh, I did grow up here. So, you know, I was embedded in the culture here. Uh, and I grew up in Atlanta. So I was embedded in that culture. I talk a lot about hip hop and uh, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when looking for a fan base, I'm not looking for, I'm not even really looking for anything specific. I just, you know, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you did. Unless you, you're a pedophile. I don't want you to be my fan. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> yeah, specifically. Uh, I mean, there's a few, a murderer. There's, there's a few other things yeah. you can't do. Uh, but as long as you love me. That you know? is cool. I was actually reading this marketing book that talks about, it's more for like, I guess, business or products or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, one element is how it's like fine to have, make something that's not for someone. That's mm-hmm. not for... A specific that's person. like universal like if you make a product mm-hmm. and you're like like an entire like multiple groups of people would be like we don't have any use for this we don't like it but then it appeals to one specific like niche yeah then that's no your fan I, that's your I respect audience that i respect comedians who have niche audiences i love that i love comedians who are like for example and man this is gonna i've been talking 
about this dude to so many people, but I'm a big fan of this guy, Andrew Schultz, who's a comic out of New York. Uh, I've known him since I was like 19, 20. One of the nicest guys. I got to feature for him recently in Portland. But his stuff is very, what he calls flagrant. Uh, it's like uh, toes the line of offensive. And like so, Bill Burr kind of stuff? A little more offensive. Even more? Even more offensive, I would say. And his stuff, like really sometimes, you know, I, you know, I don't know if comedy... Yeah, I don't want to get into the discussion of where it crosses a line and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. some would say he crosses a line. Some would say he toes the line. Some would say, yeah, whatever, it's comedy. Um, but he's one of those guys who built, he really built from the ground up an audience who loves and respects that. And he really went hard into that demographic. So now his fans are the greatest crowds to perform for because they're there because they don't give a fuck. They're there because it's like, say whatever the fuck you want. If it's funny, I don't care what you're talking about. So it, it, I respect when somebody can do that. I personally, I, I don't have much of a niche. I, I, I wish I did. I think that'd be really cool to get a niche audience or a niche crowd. But I have a basic demo, 25 to like 35, 25 to 40, uh, or you know, even like 20. I could even go like 18 to 35 or 40 or whatever and um i appeal to a lot of immigrant uh uh you know second generation second generation and um i I have like a general audience but i try to be universal and make everybody laugh i've been traveling a little bit of the world lately i did mexico and canada oh wow i'm going to the uk this summer and i'll be going to india singapore china in the fall so I'm trying to figure out what's universal as well. I had, a, I had a lot of fun performing in Mexico and Canada. And when I did, I realized about 90-ish percent of my material was universal. There were a couple things where I'd be like, Utah. And they'd be like, what's Utah? You know, yeah. or I'd be like, you know, I'd say something, you know, uh, uh, the Constitution. They're like, what's the Constitution? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't have the Constitution in Mexico. What are you talking about? So um, I realized like 10% of my stuff I had to throw out. But I had a good time learning what was universal. And I'm like, you know what? That's what I want to appeal to. Want to be That's like, interesting. want to be like someone like, you know, Russell Peters or Kevin Hart who can go to the UK and Australia and whatever and tell stories and stuff and be universal. That's really interesting. Um, the reason I brought up the uh, like unique uh, type of customer or whatever is because it's kind of sounds like, I mean, you're both kind of general, but it does sound like you do have a bit of a specific audience mm-hmm. with the, like, I feel like second generation westernized like indian mm-hmm. is like or immigrants in general immigrants. i appeal okay, to a lot of like yeah. i relate to a lot of you know um asian americans in terms of like even middle eastern as well mm-hmm. um you know people from like saudi arabia like similarly Iraq. conservative i uh, get parents yeah, kind of cultures thing. yes and i i get a lot of like people will be like showing you love from like iran or like hey really? man showing you love from like south korea and stuff so like i get a lot of like i'll just get like random messages sometimes like hey man i'm in uh bangalore and i really like your stuff or hey man i'm in saudi arabia like there's one i'm trying to remember the country but there's a dude who like sends me videos all the time <laughs> and i I, talk, I message him back like thank you and stuff and like hey thanks for sharing it and stuff and uh, I can't remember what it was an interesting country and I was like oh I got fans out here you know like that's so cool it was like I think it was like I don't remember it was like you saw your videos online I guess yeah yeah that's the cool thing about that's the really cool thing about the time we live in right now is that we can spread shit through the internet and um, 
Man, I'm not. I don't want to make this whole podcast about this dude, but it's Andrew Schultz, dude. That I really, <laughs> that I'm a big fan of. Really changed the game in terms of he. I feel like he combined. You know what? Maybe I won't talk about it because I don't want to let the secret out. But he basically combined being a YouTuber. I guess the secret's out because he has 45 million views on YouTube. Yeah. So people know who he is. But um, he basically combined being a YouTuber with a stand-up comedian, and it took him from. It made him go from selling a hundred to two hundred seats. In every city, which is where I'm at. I'm like selling like 200 to 400 seats in every city, which is a low number, you know, compared to like Sebastian or Eliza or Tom Segura or all these people who are selling out thousands and thousands of seats. I'm, you know, I'm like struggling to sell out 400, 500 seat spots, you know. Still big. No, I mean, it's, it's a but start. In the grand scheme, in the of, grand scheme of being a uh, very powerful comedian, I don't know. Right. Like a really well known. Exactly. Comedian. So he was doing like 100 to 300 seat venues and barely selling them out kind of like where i'm at he used youtube as a platform and now he's selling out 1500 seats in every what city. kind of videos does he do stand up so he basically he did a thing called and again this is a i'm gonna try to keep this brief because i'm not trying to keep the, let the secret out was it but, dry bar comedy no he did a thing where he did a 52 weeks of stand-up where every week he dropped like one to two minute clips and based on the youtube algorithm if you consistently drop a clip a week YouTube starts pushing it and when you and it becomes a playlist as well so when he had like I mean obviously I'm not him I can't explain this to you as well as he could I, I just worked with him and talked to him about it and basically what he said was once he reached a certain number of clips they started getting like one would get shared and then somebody would watch that one and then now watch, then watch like the playlist of nine more. Uh-huh. So then he has a bunch of content they could go through once they see one. Exactly. And then once you watch, then that person watches nine, they share two. And then that person watches it, shares it, blah, blah. It just exponentially grows. And he started hitting millions of views after like, I, I don't know the exact number, but don't quote me on it. And I'm not him. Like I said, uh, like 20 to 30 weeks or something of doing this. He wow. started hitting millions of views. Once he started hitting millions of views, that translated into ticket sales. People would go, oh, shit, come to Chicago. Oh, shit, come to Atlanta. Come to so-and-so. So he would go to cities, and his shows went from being 100 to 300 tickets to 1,500 to 2,500 tickets from YouTube. Not from, not from Netflix, not from Hulu, not from Amazon, not from Comedy Central, not from BET, not from any, not from any networks, which was which is why I really respect this guy, because he took the industry into his own hands. Are you trying to do this too? That's why I don't want to let the secret uh, out. Uh, but yeah, sure, sure. Let's say sure. You know what? Fuck it. It's a podcast. I'm promoting it. I've got about 15 to 20 clips right now that are edited, and uh, very soon in the next few weeks, I'll be dropping one a week. That's sick. For between 20 and 30, about 20. You caption them. Um, I will be captioning them for Instagram. There's a couple clips that I'll be posting on YouTube that the audio isn't a hundred percent how I would like it. There's like two or three that I'll caption because the audio isn't a hundred percent, but I'm getting, you know, three, anywhere between three and five cameras and, uh, two audio sources. I got to zoom myself. I'm getting direct input into the soundboard. Oh, you're going to get like a splitter or something? Oh, like literally split input. Yeah, the soundboard. so it's like from the microphone, from the yeah. stage. So I have direct input audio plus... I have a task cam that goes in the crowd for crowd interaction. Um, I have a camera pointed at the crowd. I have a GoPro behind the stage. Uh, I've been re- and by the way, this has been the last four to six months of fucking up 
and oh shit, we didn't get the audio. Oh fuck, that was a great show, but this ain't the camera shook or oh fuck, uh, the the battery ran out or the SD card was full or blah blah. blah. So I finally, finally have like 15, 20 ish clips that are ready to go, and it's been like a long, arduous process, and I really feel his pain because I think he went through it too. I think he mentioned it. Uh, when I spoke to him about like he had failures and fuck ups and shit like that, uh, but yeah, I'm about to start dropping some clips as well, and it's all material that I don't want to do anymore. I've been doing an hour that I don't really like. I've been doing an hour for like the past two to three years. So instead of releasing it as an hour, you'll just drop it in clips. Dude, give, that's really cool. Give it to the people because you know what, you know. Net, it could get lost in Netflix. It can get lost on Hulu, Amazon. It can get lost Dude, on Comedy I love this Central. idea. I- so, but you know what? YouTube is forever. If Even if people don't watch it, even if people are like, ah, eh, whatever, this Neil not a guy. Let's say in a year I'm on some fucking sitcom or in some movie and they go, who's this guy, Neil Nanda? He's a comedian? Then now they're all searching my YouTube and shit. And now there's fucking 30 clips. I think that's the best way to do it, dude. I was thinking... Give it directly to the people. I had this idea. I mean, I thought about this process like a couple weeks or months back and like i remember i interviewed some people about it and some people like it seems like the common uh actually andrew rivers said that's a good idea because i actually saw the dry bark do you know dry bark comedy yes that's a perfect example of comedy juice does it dry bar comedy does laugh factory puts clips like there's no reason you can't put your own stand-up up with the technology we have i gained like 1500 followers from a laugh factory clip could you imagine if I was like, no, don't put it up? You know what it is? Comedians are so afraid of burning material. They're so afraid if they put it online that they can't go into a show and do it anymore. It's it's over. One point, you know, that Laugh Factory clip that they put up on their Instagram got 1.9 million views, right? No one saw it still relatively. If you go to a show where the odds, someone saw it. The odds are very low because that 1.9 million views... 1.2 million of them are between the age of 13 and 19. So they can't, they even, can't even go. They can't even get in. So the the whatever, 100,000 or whatever that did see it, first of all, it's a minute clip. Okay? It's a minute. If I do a show with 500 people, and even if 300 people have seen that minute, they'll still laugh. Yeah. It you know doesn't matter I mean? at it all. Do, it doesn't matter. A one-minute clip isn't, oh, I burned a minute. Oh, no. Um, I will say this. Now that I'm touring a little more and traveling a little more, I have to burn my Kimmel. I have to burn some of my Comedy Central stuff because, but again, those are both five minute sets. So it's like, oh, I can burn like 10 minutes, whatever. Not a big deal. I By have, burning, you mean reuse? Burning meaning I can't use it anymore. Oh, oh. Because if I do it, when I do it on tour, I can tell the audience or a, 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 not even, not 100%. But I can tell, even if 40% or 50% have heard it, I can tell now. I can tell, I'm like, oh, you guys have heard this joke. So I'm, I am I have had to get rid of that, which is not a big deal. It's 10 minutes. Yeah. I can write another 10 minutes. But the thing is, comedians are so afraid of burning material because they're so afraid of writing material. Just write. Our only job is to write. I write every day. Every day I sit down for two to three hours and I write. And every night I go out and perform new jokes to try to perfect and when I'm dropping this hour, the way it's working for me is every time, even if nobody sees the YouTube clips, even if nobody sees it on Instagram, even if no one ever, he- you know, tree falls in the woods, whatever the fuck, you know, yeah. if no one sees the stuff, I'm still from my own personal growth, gonna drop it. So I'm dropping, like I said, 15 to 20, I have about 15 to 20 right now. I like it to be more like 20 to 30. 
um, which in the next 15 to 20 weeks, I'll be still be filming. So I'll get the 20 to 30 uh, eventually. So when I, every week that I drop a clip, done. I'm not saying it on stage anymore. That's it. Really? It's online. Listen, I have an hour that I don't like doing that I've been doing for three years. I'm, ti- I'm just tired of it. About two to three years I've been doing this hour and I'm tired of it. I've said it over and over and over again for three years. It's time for me to move on. And I have a new 30 to 45 minutes that I'm working into a new hour that I'm not dropping. You know, I got 30 to 45 minutes now in the next two, three months, that'll be close to an hour. And I'm not dropping that. It's time for people to see my stuff and go, whoa, that shit's funny. I want to go see him live and then come see me live. And now it's a brand new hour they haven't seen. And they go, oh shit, this guy has got, oh damn. But that'll just be for, that won't be for the internet. That'll be for, I want to use the internet as a platform to get people interested and watching that other hour. So if that, that next hour, I'd like to be a special, you know. Yeah. The, but this first hour, I'd like to drop. Dude, that's so cool. I had some real life uh, experience with that because I posted a, a clip from one of my old shows and uh, I, it really resonates to college age kids. Right. And it got like 500,000 views that's on Facebook. And then I got a couple hundred followers just from that. That that's amazing, dude. And I'm really now that I'm doing this tech roast show, I'm thinking maybe I'll just take some of my tech jokes and like start dropping them. Drop whatever you got, man. Also, here's some here's another thing that I think is fun and interesting. I you know what people love on the internet? They love like heckler shit, and they love like, like dealing with hecklers. Dealing stuff. with hecklers. Um, and not only just dealing with hecklers, but just crowd work in general. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody says something weird and you go, what? And then you just like go into it or whatever. And that is not burning material. Cause that you're only, just doing improv. That, that just happened one time that one person said something weird and you went, what? And then you like talked to him, had a conversation and people on the internet love that shit. So I have out of this like 20 clips, I have like three or four of just like me dealing with the crowd. And that is awesome because... I'm not now. I'm not burning material. Now I'm just like, oh, cool. Here's, extra stuff. It's like bonus. It's yeah. like a bonus. It's they're like bonus clips. So it's like, I think if you tape everything, everything. I tape about ninety percent. Videotape. Yeah, I videotape about ninety percent. I mean, of course, I still do. You still bar, gotta do. I still do bar shows where there's like twelve people, and I still do like shows in like coffee shops where there's like 15, 20 people, or like shows at weird be- or like in a basement with like. 35 people that are drunk or whatever. And I'm not taping those sets. You know, I don't need that. That's I'll record the audio and listen to it if I have to. And that's where I'm working on a lot of my material. But anytime I do a show that's good, so like at like about, I wouldn't say 90%, I'd say 75%. I'd say three of every four shows I do is good enough to tape. And um, so yeah, I'm taping about 75% of my stuff and I'm getting little gems everywhere I go, you know, a little bit of crowd work gem here, a little bit of riffing gem here. Oh, I wrote a new joke on stage. Wow, I can watch that back and figure it out. Not only that, I can watch myself fail too. I can, I, if I have a bad show or if, uh, when I have a bad show, sorry, not if, uh, when I yeah. have bad shows, when I have shows where I'm bombing or not doing well, I can watch and see what, what happened. Was I nervous? Was the wording off? Was my timing off? Uh, was I doing things like nervous ticks? Was I my hand in a weird place? And watching yourself over and over again, you learn what you hate about yourself and you learn to go, okay, I gotta stop doing that. Yeah. I used to um and uh and uh a lot 
and then it got cut down to about, you know, over time of watching myself do it over and over again, it started getting slow. It slowly started getting cut out of my set, and I was doing it less and less and less until now I do it like if like I watched this morning. I watched um, two hours of mine because I love myself. Uh, <laughs> no, it's painful. It's a painful process watching yourself, but I think you have to do. It's like it's like a basketball team watching themselves practice. Or like a football team watching there. Yeah, you have you to know, go back. You got to go back and watch the footage and see everything and see what you're doing. So I watched two hours of mine. I watched an hour last night and an hour this morning. And uh, in the hour last night and this morning, probably 10% ums and uhs, you know, which is, it used to be 80%, you know, it used to be, <laughs> it used to be an um and uh in every bit. And now it's like, okay, that's, I can excuse it. That was a new bit. I was figuring out the wording. I said, um, uh, whatever. But I'm not so annoyed watching myself because I've corrected yeah. so many of the mistakes. So I'm not, I was able to watch the two hours without cringing as hard as I usually do uh, because I've corrected so many of the mistakes after watching, I have over a hundred shows footage on a hard drive, over a hundred shows footage. So I've watched myself over a hundred times at this point. Wow. So after number, you know, sorry, I'm going to, I got a phone call. I'm just, I don't need to grab it. Um, but after watching footage of show number 53, it started to get better. You know, it started yeah. to get, eat, the, the mistakes and the ticks and the problems started to, to correct fade it, Otherwise away. you're just going to make the same mistakes. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, which brings me to comedians are insane. Oh yeah, very insane. We're insane because we, it's so funny. The Albert Einstein's definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You know what's crazy about comedy is we do the same thing Everyone over and over that. again and we get different results. And we expect it because we have to expect it. I go do a show, I'll do, you know, a week in New York where I'll do like three or four shows a night and the first two shows I do the exact same bit murders. The second two shows it goes okay at one, bombs at the other. I'm like what? Is this crazy? Do I need to change it? And you like start going insane. But yeah, you got to do the same thing over There's and over again. There's some certain like uh, random variables that you can't even. That's have, the thing that I love. Anything to it. That's the thing I love about comedy. It, there are so many random variables. It is not an exact science, and um, that's the beauty of it. Anything can happen. I feel like, the, but there are ways like going back to and watching your clips and actively. It there helps. are certain things where you can like minimize. I will say. I will say this. You can. There's no 100%. Like, there are random variables and all that stuff. So, there's no 100%. There's no, like, if I do the bit like this 100% of the time, the crowd will laugh. Yeah. If your headspace is even a little bit different, you're going to do it different and not even realize it, too. Right. But let's say you do it exactly the same. Like, truly exactly the same. Truly exactly the same. I have evidence of this, actually. So, I was trying to get some material on footage, right? And I had been doing it over and over and over and over again, right? And because it just wasn't, it, I wasn't getting the clip I wanted, right? So one week I did it at Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. And I did it uh, and it got a pretty good laugh. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty good clip. Then the next week I go, okay, let me see if I can get it a little better. Let me see if I can get it a little hotter. This is a hotter room. Let me get the same bit. And I did it exactly the same to the point where when I was in editing, I synced the audio from one week ago. From a Friday, let's say, let's just say arbitrarily Friday, February 1st and uh, Friday, February 8th, right? I put the audio together. It matched the exact tone, timing, pausing, 
to to the point where it was it was eerie. It was scary, and I was like, "That's not good," because you don't want to sound scripted. Yeah. But also, the crowd reaction. One crowd was losing their mind, and one crowd was just kind of laughing. One crowd was laughing, and one crowd was losing their mind. And I was saying it the exact same way to the second. Because I had been doing this bit over and over and so over weird. and over again. Some it was really just outside weird. of the comic. It's like it, composition of the for whatever reason, maybe the room has like people that loud laugh less loud. Right. Or, or something. And or then they're, they or they're laugh. more they're more drunk, they're more tired, they're more uh there's older people, they're younger people, you know. There's so many variables. Some people that go just into laugh because the person next to them's laughing really loud. Laughter is contagious. Absolutely. If you got if I'm in a room full of like 200 people and 100 people start laughing then another 50 will just residually laugh you know if i'm in a room full of 200 or 300 or something and like yeah 70 percent of the room laughs another 15 will start laughing yeah. you know so yeah it, laughter is contagious so there are so many weird variables but i remember seeing that and that's being, so weird i was freaked out i was freaked out that my literal tone pitch timing was exactly the same because i had been doing this bit this specific bit i wanted to get on tape so i've been doing it every day until the until it literally became like a script wow. and which is not good you never want to sound scripted you want to sound conversational and natural and stand up but that didn't happen because it sounded the same as the week before it sounded exactly the same it was crazy. it was insane it was really crazy i did get the clip eventually with the right crowd and um yeah it was, it was just really weird to see that everything was the same timing the i think like maybe one word was off here or one second yeah. was off here or it fell behind here or something but it, at a certain point there was like a minute and a half that like synced up and that's crazy it was really funny and interesting to watch um yeah that just makes me think like i recently tried to do uh, a new process of like mm -hmm. working on material to make it more of a like process that is like repeatable because i don't like the idea of just going to mics and you're like, oh, maybe I'll work on this. And then like, how do you measure your changes? It's kind of hard to measure your changes, I feel like. Do you do mics in Los Angeles? Um, I do. I haven't been doing as much as I'd like to because I've been doing, I run a couple shows and then uh, I run my like tech show that's mm -hmm. out of LA, but not as much as I'd like to be doing. Right. Um, it's very hard to gauge progress and success at mics. Oh, yeah, very it, hard here. Especially in Los Angeles. In a lot of cities, open mics have audiences. People. <laughs> yeah, people that will you can gauge your response to. I almost find it... I, I almost find it uh, a hindrance. Like counterproductive? Or, yeah, counterproductive to do mics in Los Angeles. Because you're performing in front of comedians, and then if we, we go back to the what we were talking about earlier, where it's okay to have a certain type of audience, mm -hmm. right? right? Well, if you're only performing mm -hmm. in front of comedians... Like my tech jokes, fundamentally, I can't work on them here. Right. Because they just will not get mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. I, I agree. At I, all, I agree. It's a completely different audience. Honestly, so a lot of people say that going to mics in Los Angeles helps you just by saying it out loud and being on stage. Guess what I have at home? I have a, a PA system. Oh. <laughs> I have a mirror. I have a shower. I talk to my, I talk, I do my bits out in the shower. I do my bit. I don't do it in front of the mirror. I think that's why I don't like looking at myself. I know. Uh, I haven't really so, done it that So much. I do it. I do it in the shower, and I have a PA system. So sometimes, 
like when no one's home. Like, Literally, well, that's the same as an LA mic. Exactly. You might as well just talking to a PA by yourself. Right. You can hear what you sound like. It's just literally feeling like you're doing stand up. Exactly. Is that what the value of going to a mic? That, that's what a lot of people, because I used to complain when I was doing mics, when I was doing open mics in Los Angeles. I used to complain, oh, this is counterproductive. I'm not getting anything out of it. And the people would say, hey, man, it's just about, you know, you're going on stage and you're talking it out and you're figuring out the timing and the beats and the blah, blah. But Literally, you could do that with just a by PA. Talking. And so I, I bought a PA to do shows and stuff. So sometimes I'll literally, I had a show, and this is going to be a brag. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. It's just what happened. I'm just telling you the facts. Friday night, I wrote a new joke. And it was a very, it's in a very act outy, and I needed the sound to be correct. I'm a big person. I, I love manipulating sound on yeah. stage whether it's like beatboxing whether it's mic tricks and me hitting the mic or whatever i got to do so this bit had a lot of sound so i said okay i got my pa i'm gonna go downstairs and i'm gonna just like talk it out by myself and i'm gonna figure out the timing of the sound right so i didn't go to an open mic i went downstairs at my place where i have a pa and i just for half an hour talked out this bit and strangely enough made myself laugh which was weird that was a weird moment where i was like riffing to myself and i made my like oh that's funny i wrote it down and I, I laughed and then that night i had two shows friday night i had two shows i tried out the bit both times killed wow and i was like holy shit i figured out the timing i figured out the noises i figured out everything that was the first time i tried it first time i tried it out whenever i tried a new bit because uh, it was a long bit. It was probably a two-minute bit or so. I did forget a couple lines in the first show, but the bit still killed. I went to the second show, and I go, oh, yeah, I forgot these lines. Now when I get to the second show, I'll do those lines. Did the lines. Killed even harder. And I was like, holy shit. I don't need to go to an open mic. I can go to my fucking basement. Why would I go to an open mic? If I were in a – if you're – and anybody listening, if you're in a city like Atlanta, Portland, Chicago – where you can go to an open mic and there are people there, not comedians, people there. It is very beneficial for you to go to that open mic. It is very beneficial for you to be in front of an audience. But if you're in Los Angeles or New York and you're paying $5, buying a drink, whatever, to perform in front of 20 to 30 comedians who hate your guts and are just waiting to get on stage, it's pretty much counterproductive. Pretty much. You need people... You need real people because that's peop- what the job I is. Hate, I hate calling people real people, you know, because comedians are real people too. Yeah. We're human beings. but I, It for, doesn't simulate a real audience. It doesn't simulate a real audience, and it's basically a waste of your time. It's basically counterproductive. You might as well just talk into a PA. But I'm not advocating. I'm not saying that all open mics are horrible and you should never go to an West open West Sides mic. is good if you get up. Yeah, there are, there are good improv mics. Improv space is pretty good. Improv space. I like improv space. There's college students there, there usually. There's, yeah. There are people that are there to laugh. But I, I think trying out your jokes solely in front of comedians is a huge hindrance to your... It's a disservice. You'll to get your, good at doing jokes in front of comedians. Yeah, but when are you going to go on the road? You're going to go on the road and try and sell tickets to comedians? You're going to do an all comedy? Good for confidence boosting. Yeah, good Maybe for, that's it. And and you can meet a lot of people. It's a good way to meet network, a lot of... Network, if you're networking. Network, meet a lot of people. There are benefits. I'm not saying like there are absolutely no benefits, but it's... In terms of perfecting your material that you're going to use in front of non-comedians, maybe not the maybe best. Maybe not the best your place. Time. And I mean, that's why I've stopped 
completely stopped going to Mike's in Los Angeles. I stopped going to Mike's. I was telling you right before the podcast. Yeah. I didn't get into it too much, but I stopped going to Mike's in October of 2015 because I started booking 30 shows a month. And um, this is something I don't really talk like getting about. getting booked on. Getting booked Not on. Like producing. Not producing, but um, getting booked on, meaning I was reaching out to a lot of bookers. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, traveling a little bit and I was whatever. So in October of 2015, I did, I had booked Adam Devine's house party on Comedy Central. And when I did that, what I did was I, uh, I was filming it in December of 2015. So in October... I started hitting up every booker I knew in Los Angeles at the improv, at uh, the factory, at the West Side, every bar show, every, uh, the, you know, Nerd Mel and blah, 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 all these shows that were around um, back then, that some of which exist now, some of which don't. I hit up every hot tub and blah, 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 just everybody. And I said, hey guys, I would, I, I, I'm filming a set for Adam Divine's house party. I really want to get ready. Could I please do your show and run my seven to 10 minute? It was a, 10 to 12 minutes set on the show. But I was like, could I run like at least seven to 10 minutes or something? And people were really nice. And they said, yeah, of course, man, come by. So in the month of October, I booked 34 shows or something like that. And I looked, at my, I looked at my calendar and I go, yo, if I'm doing 34 shows, I don't need to go to an open mic. Why the fuck am I going to an open mic? I'm doing a show at night. I'm doing 10 to, you know, anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes a night. Why do I need to go to? Why do I need to waste three minutes or four minutes at an open mic and spend money and drive across town and waste gas and ball? So I was like, let me see if I can keep the streak up. Let me see if I can keep the streak up. Let me see if I can do thirty or more shows a month. So I forced myself. I forced myself to hit up every booker I knew. I forced myself to to flex my credits. Were you worried about like using up your ability to reach out to people in a way? I feel like that's like a fear people might sure, have. Sure, sure, sure. But the way I remedied that was traveling. I started traveling. Asked people to open for them. Hey, Andrew, can I open for you? Al Jackson, can I open for Dan Cummins? Can I open for you? Can I open for you? Then I would get a weekend of shows where I'm doing feature spots, where I'm doing 20s. And that takes up, if I do one weekend a month, six to eight shows crossed off the list in one weekend, boom, you know? And then I'm in a random city. Let's say I go, hey, um, and for example, feature for Andrew Schultz. Andrew, can I feature for you in Portland? Sure, man, come by. Go to Portland, do the six shows with the dude. Then I stay an extra five days. I do every show in Portland that I can, every bar show, every club show, everything I can. I just added another 10 shows. Now I've done 18 shows in about a week and a half, right? It's crazy. I come back to LA, only got to do 12 shows, make that 30. So between October 2015 and October 2018, yeah, for three years straight, I hit a streak of 30, between 30 and 100 shows. Um, there was one month where I did 89, and that was crazy, and I don't recommend it. But Whoa. Uh, there were a three few, a night? Three a night. 31 days, three to four a night. New York City. Only city where you can do it. Only city in the world where you can do it. Um, I tried to do 100. I was like, I'm going to New York. It was like 2016, I think. And I was like, it was March of 2016, I believe. I can look at like my- Like three years ago? Yeah, three years ago. Um, yeah, three years ago to this month. Um, I went to New York City and I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to fucking do 100 shows. I'm going to fucking <laughs> And uh, I booked 90-some shows, a lot of shitty shows. Uh, I'd say 40 of them were counterproductive. 
you know and then i mean new york has so many venues and spots and oh yeah i mean the shows are like mics sometimes yeah some a of lot them. of times yeah that's why i said like 40 of them were 40 out of that 89 were counterproductive bullshit shows uh you know here's a drink ticket and you know whatever and um you know and again i wouldn't say i wouldn't say counterproductive i'd say you know Maybe not worth my time, but I definitely got something out of it. I, I learned yeah. not to do it. I learned, you know, to be more to be more uh, conscientious of what shows I'm doing. And so, yeah, that month in New York was crazy. I did still do fifty some great shows. You know, the UCBs, Gotham, uh, Broadway. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the other clubs. I knew the Stand, New York Comedy. I did New York yeah. Comedy Club a bunch. I uh, love New York Comedy Club. It was awesome. Uh, Knitting Factory. I did. I did all the cool shows that month too. I did, you know, uh, the Knit and uh, what was that one? The Night Train. The one with Wyatt Snack and David Cross hosted. And so I, many and shows. I, and I got That's a, unreal. It was crazy. I got a clip of David Cross introducing me and blah blah blah. But my point is, between October and 2015, and October of 2018, that three-year span, I hit more than 30 shows a month. I believe there was one month. There was one month where I had the flu, and I still hit like 26 or 27 that month. But I was like, I had the flu for a week. I'm, I'm going to count it. You know, I'm like, whatever. But after that, I learned, I stopped. I, so for that span, I stopped open micing. There were months where I hit 89 that month in March. There were months where I hit 55. There were months where I hit 62. There were months where I hit 31. So you so, keep track of all this? What do you have, like a spreadsheet? I have a spreadsheet, yeah. And that of also, every show you did? Mm-hmm, and that allows me, and, I, and the spreadsheet has every booker I hit up, has, you know, uh, date, time, booker, all the stuff, so that way I can hit those people up when I'm back in those cities, you know? And I have one of LA, of course, there's a lot of LA shows there too. A lot of the shows don't exist anymore whatever but yeah it has all the information booker email everything so when i go back to those cities like i went to chicago and minneapolis and blah blah and i did 15 shows in each city i can go back to chicago and go oh wait when was i in chicago uh i, I can go control f for find chicago and then boom okay yeah i was here these great days. so um yeah for three years i did 30 or more shows a month and then i decided all right i can chill Seems uh, like every comic just has their own strategy, and then if you have the most efficient strategy, you're gonna be more successful. Like I just ways of approaching keep, things. There's a million ways to approach this industry. There's a trillion ways. You could go on Instagram and and vlog all day. You could go on YouTube and vlog all day. You can go, um, you know, on the. You can go. Oh, well, Stormy Daniels is headlining. Just yeah. and just because she's selling. Ticket, Yo, she's able to headline. I have no problem with that, by the way. I have oh, no, yeah, people I, are talking about that. People are so upset about it. People are so upset about it. Dude, why? Shut, YouTubers right. headline. YouTubers, Vine podcasters, stars had, Vine stars. Everyone headlines. People that can sell tickets should headline. If you can sell tickets, a venue should book you. Also, that's helping you. Stormy Daniels doing the ju- joke joint, I guess, in Peoria. I think that was where she's going. I don't know. Sure. She's doing a club, whatever club she's going to. That club's gonna sell the fuck out. Yeah, they're gonna make course. a ton of money. I would go watch that. They can now. Sounds, funny. They can now afford to exist and pay your dumbass to come headline, who won't sell tickets and paper the room. So Stormy Daniels is helping out your career, you dumbass. First of all, <laughs> second of all, she has something to say. People want to go see people who have something to say. There are podcasters I don't like, but they have 
thousands of fans, hundreds of thousands of fans who want to hear them just fucking talk. And they'll go see them at that venue. And I have no problem with that. If you worked hard to build your brand or your whatever and you want to go and you want to headline and you can sell tickets, more fucking power to you. You're only helping comedians. It's true. I mean, as a comic, I mean, the end goal is unless you're doing TV or film or something, it's you have to be able to sell tickets. That's pretty much it. How can you sell tickets? It's also interesting to think though, because I can I understand the other side of it of like being, well, I I can see how that's annoying if you're just you just see like random ass influencers who mm-hmm. do like YouTube pranks and stuff, right. and they're like headlining. You're like, well, then what's stand up comedy? It's they don't annoying, even have to be stand up. Also, their audience is different than yours. There are these YouTube prank stars that go and headline and stuff. Yeah. Their audience is between the age of 13 and 21. Yeah. Right? Or 13 and 22, let's say. So a lot of times these YouTube prank stars that go and do like, for example, there was one that did Helium mm-hmm. at um, in Portland, which is a 300-seat venue. Yeah. Great venue. That's where I went and actually featured for shows. Awesome time. I saw that some like YouTuber was there like a week before or a couple weeks before. And I saw it said all ages. So that audience was probably 13 to 20. You know what I, I mean? I know, you're like the Wiggles. Right, exactly. So why are you mad at this guy? Oh, I'm so frustrated. This guy's doing a YouTube prank. It's like, like not even the same market. It's different. These it's people, different. Those people can't come to your show. They're not like, let me go to this guy instead of you. Exactly. exactly. They're not they're the like, same, different, yeah. totally non-intersecting crowds. Straight up. Those people aren't deciding between Neil Nanda and Logan Paul. They're going, they're, they're going, you know what I mean? Like he has his own niche audience and let him have his niche. You, we act like these YouTube prank stars haven't worked hard. I've been filming my sets for the last six months. It has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. The hardest thing I've ever had to do. I mean, that that's not that I'm exaggerating, but it has been a very, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's very difficult. And it makes me appreciate these dudes who are filming editing sound editing putting titles yeah. doing and, and being consistent these dudes are it's doing hard. it every it's single week enough. you're acting like they didn't do anything you're acting like these prank things just oh you just fucking did it and still then, a lot of work it's so even much if you don't work. like the content even if you hate it it's, it's you impressive gotta, to get that many followers you got to respect their work ethic you got to respect the fact that they built a following you got to respect the fact that they continue to consistently do it and you'll if you're upset it's because you're goddamn jealous that's all it is you're just a goddamn jealous ass hater and the more success people get the more goddamn jealous ass haters will come after you that's so funny yeah i mean it's true it's just true because we're all trying to do the same thing build an audience anyway and it's like yeah if you're effective at it even if Right. Other comics would be like, even, "That's hack." Right. Even <laughs> if there is, even if there it's not is, not for those comics. Sure. Even if there is cross promotion, you think people can't be fans of two things? How many comedians do you like? A lot. A ton. Yeah. Exactly. I would go pay ticket. I would pay money to see Kevin Hart. I would pay money to go see Shulls. I go pay money to see Bill Burr. I would pay money to see um, who else? Do I, Chappelle. I go pay money to see. I would pay money to see Schumer right now. I'm interested in what she's doing. Uh, I you know I, I saw the preview for her next special. It looked pretty damn funny. I love Ali Wong. I would pay money to go yeah. see her. Who's to say that if somebody is selling out clubs and blah, blah blah, you can't do it too. You can't bring the same audience. You can't bring those like those people only want to go to one show a year. Yeah. What do you think is happening? People are like, oh, I'm only going to go to this one comedy show and never again. I know. What is wrong with people? People are just jealous ass, dumb ass haters. That's all it is. That's all it's it comes true, down dude. to. Um, so yeah, so I don't Sorry know, about this kind of brought us all the way back to the um, having the specific audience kind of thing. Um, right. 
Brought yeah. us all the way back there. It was interesting. I saw, um, I was at Laughs Comedy Club in Seattle this past weekend. And I saw uh, Rami Youssef. Love and Rami. He has, Great guy. Yeah, like huge uh, Muslim audience yeah. comes through. And it's just so interesting to see that I always had the uh, con- belief that to be like a headlining comedian, you have to have a general universal, universal audience, audience that yeah. like everyone mm-hmm. would come to. And like I'm sure he like obviously he still got a lot of like non-Muslim people to come, but it's interesting that by having a specific a audience, people audience. are actually able to have careers from that. I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, I think it's a really unique and uh, not a unique but a really good approach to uh, selling tickets to to factor to zoom in on one audience. That's what entrepreneurs are doing. That's what Silicon Valley it's, people it's are doing. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. They, everyone focus. If you're an entrepreneur, yeah. everyone's focusing on they're like, oh, what's my niche audience? Who's my customer? Right. And like comedians are like, oh, I have to be funny for everyone. Right. I mean, I'm on the. I'm trying to be universal and funny for everyone, but I I think it's awesome when I see people like Amanda Seals, who has a very niche audience. She even like she did her special, and the beginning of her special, she was like. If you're not a black woman, this special isn't for you. In the in the special, and I was like, I'm watching it. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, Amanda? Am I supposed to turn this off? You know. Um, and I liked the special. I thought it was really cool. I loved the interaction she had with her fans. I loved that she was able to like bring such a unique audience and like bring so much out of an audience. It was like a it was like watching fucking church or some shit. Yeah. You know. And um, you know, like people like I mentioned, Schulzberg. Uh, Jezelnik, uh, you know, there's people that have niche audience that are like offensive or where they, they draw. Do you see Fred Armisen's thing? For, yeah, like, drummers? for drummers. Yeah. You know, do what you got to do and, and build that audience, you know. And um, yeah, like if you're talking about like Rami and how he has a lot of Muslim people, that's really cool too. So yeah, definitely finding a niche audience is really, really powerful and really smart. And it's a really great way to do it. But you can also be universal. You can also be Russell Peters. You know, do you think that um, comedians who have niche audiences, like, usually they, like, I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, how it works. Like, if you have a niche audience, do you think it expands? Like, once you get more known in the niche, then you become more universal? I think so. I think you get more opportunities because um, networks and, uh, you know, movies and studios and stuff will see, oh, he's going to bring such and such. I'm not going to name names, but there's a specific comic that I know of that got a hosting job somewhere and it was because the network was like oh they'll bring such and such audience to the show and now they're on the show and it's you know, a universal show where like everyone's seeing it and uh they did bring that audience to that show but now they also that show also hits five million other people so it's like using someone who can bring a niche audience to bring an audience that might not ordinarily watch this Right. Universal show. Let, let's say, for example, like to uh, the show, like a movie, like um, uh, that movie Tag, for example, that had Jeremy Renner, had Ed Helms, it had um, you know whoever else, and then it also had Hannibal Burris. Mm-hmm. Hannibal Burris has a niche, pretty niche audience of like kind of cool, nerdy people, you know, like young, hip people, people that are like, whatever. So I'm sure a lot of people, the, the movie studio was like, yeah, he'll bring like hip, young people to the, the movie, whatever. And I'm sure a lot of people go, oh, Hannibal's in it? I'll see it. I watched it. I, I like Ed Helms. I like, was Ed Helms in it? Yeah, Ed Helms was in it. I like Jeremy Renner. I like all those people. But then I saw Hannibal Burris. I go, that's a pretty cool cast. I heard it was a good movie. And I go, okay, yeah, cool. I'll watch it. Whatever. But Hannibal was the sell for you. Huh? Hannibal was, 
it added it added to the sell for me. It was like I might not have watched it if Hannibal wasn't in it. Yeah. I might have gone like ah, like four white dudes, whatever. In my boring. so interesting to think of it this way because this is what all the people that ha- pull but, the strings are. But thinking. my point is, you know, millions of people saw it because of Jeremy Renner and Ed Helms and whoever else was the you know Amy Adams or whoever else was in the movie. Millions of people saw it for those people and then happened to see Hannibal Burris be really funny in it and then they go oh yeah who's that? so now you're now Hannibal's more universal because he's doing this major not that Hannibal's not universal now yeah, that he's yeah. done five Netflix yeah, specials yeah, yeah. and toured the world and shit but my point is that when you do find your niche audience networks and places try to put you in things to bring that audience to you and then whatever audience is already there is now seeing you and following you so I do think there is something to finding a niche audience and then becoming more universal that's really cool. I'm just, uh, you know, again, I don't know anything. I don't know shit about shit. I'm just talking, you know. Do you have a, do you have an agent and manager right now? Oh, you do, you do. You said I do you have do an agent for and one-off manager. things. Even if you book the things yourself, do you have to give them a cut? I do not. Uh, oh, okay. I, that, I book about 90% of the stuff I do, um, even a lot of times television or film, because I know, you know, because just being in the game for so long, you'll know a casting director or uh, a writer or a producer or somebody who will go, hey, you should audition for this or yeah. hey, you should come in for this. I'll get emails from a casting director directly directly, and, and then I'll book, I've booked a few things that way and I got to keep all the cash, which was awesome. Is know? there an etiquette about going around your agents and managers? There's an etiquette. Just, I always thought about that. You just that. let them know. Um, you know, and if you do book something or you, whatever, you let them know and then they can negotiate and make sure you're taking they should care. be there to help you. So yes. it wouldn't make sense for them to be like, no, we have to talk. To no, people. no. They're very cool because they're, they they want me to succeed. They want me to book my own stuff. They want me to work. They want me to, you know, make money. They want, and, and the more I book, the more it helps them book too. Because then their future stuff, they can reference the things you've already done. Exactly. Then they can say, oh, you, Neil did this, this, and this, and this. Let's get him in the room for this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. So it, it only it, every work begets it all work. helps. It all yeah. helps. So yeah, there's no like weird like oh, I'm not gonna tell my manager I'm doing this or I'm not gonna you know whatever. I tell my manager everything I'm doing, whether it's I'm making five dollars or five hundred dollars, five thousand yeah. dollars, or whatever. I let them know, and it, and if you know, it, honestly, a lot of times when I book something big on my own, it's me t- and I tell them I'm like, see, I can do it. You better fucking help me. You know, yeah, hey, why don't you, call, like, why don't you make some phone look. call? See, I did it myself. I bet you could you could get me in the room too, you know? Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's just more precedence for me to be like, see, I'm working. Come on, give me some work, you know? You want to make some money? Uh, let's do this. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, they, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say I book 80%, they book 20 or 75, 25 or whatever yeah. it is. Um, I do a lot of my own bookings, even in terms of like television, film, and... Uh, Touring, of course, and, and stand-up, of course. They don't book any of my shows in L.A., you know. They don't they don't reach out to Bar Lubitsch for me. They don't yeah, reach out no. to, you the know, the shows. improv. Yeah, or they don't reach out to, you know, my. they don't want my 10% of my $20. Yeah, you know, or, two bucks. Yeah, they don't want $2, yeah. So I book 99% of my stand-up. They, um, and I'm not, and it's not even, compl- I'm not even complaining. I'm just saying, like, that's just how it is. That's, you know, agents make 10%. And they do 1%. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, agents and managers make 10%. And they do very, very, very minimal work, uh, which is why they make 10%. Because they, they don't work more than 10%. You know, you get. They're doing, if you do 10% off of like, it's an interesting model. It's like if you have 20 clients, so you do at 10% each, then you're making 
double what your normal if, if they're making mm. on average the same right then you end up making double your client sure and the thing is my my uh reps my agents man manager have a wide range of clients where it's like ranges from like sean waynes and trevor noah down to me you know to where it's like they're making 100k a month from Trevor Noah. Oh, it's like they don't have time. You're like right. they're like risky. You're like their cryptocurrency. I'm their. I'm not. Like even you could blow cri- up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even their cryptocurrency. I'm like they're like, yeah, kind of like their side project or something. Like it's kind of like, hey, let's see if we can pop this guy off, you know, and make him some money in a, in a year or two or whatever. And I'm like their, uh, like yeah, the work in progress kind of thing. And like, and then they they have a steady income getting John Oliver you know, at this college for $20,000. And then it's like, maybe we get Neil Nanda here for $2,000. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we can get Neil Nanda, you know, here for, you know, 5000 at this corporate or what, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm like their cryptocurrency. And they're also like, a big thing about getting a manager or agent is a lot of people are like, people, a lot of people think like you get a manager or agent and it's like game over, I'm fucking famous. It's, it's done. No, a lot of the a lot of times a manager or agent is interested in you because you're working your ass off because you're trying because you're writing, acting, developing, doing stand up, booking your own gigs, doing everything on your own and they're like this guy's really hard working. I can push him a little bit, but his hard work is going to take him even for it's going to push yeah. him over the edge. So, you don't get an agent and manager and stop working. Like I said, I book 99% of my stuff, including some of my television. I booked two movies last year that my agents didn't put me on to. And how do you do that? One, one, a casting director reached out to me and said, hey, you should audition for this. And, you know, I auditioned like 100 to 200 times last year. I booked like four or five things. So I was like, I I got that email. I was like, sure, but I'm not going to get it. I ended up getting it. Amazing. Two, I knew a producer who was working on a movie and they, same thing, you should audition for this. I go, I mean, I mean, this is going to be my 200th audition this year, and I've booked four, three things already, so I doubt it. Booked it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, I booked two movies without my agents, without my, my manager. And it was, and I, and I booked like an NBC, a SAG, a sketch. I booked like, I booked a few things here and there just, through a casting director emailing me or a producer or somebody and and that came from me just being in the game for long enough to have met all these people and to have impressed them and I there was this casting director in particular I uh, booked it it was an there was an ABC show and I went in and man like you know you know how like stand up is like sometimes you go up and you just bomb oh yeah you just eat it this and sometimes you go up there and you just fucking kill you're just in the zone i go into this abc audition and man i fucking like i was in the zone man because like one it was like it was comedic so i could be funny and there was like casting director producer director everyone was in the room right and so it was like five six people or something and there was like an assistant and a blah blah they're all in the room and i go in there and i had i had planned improv you know into the scene but i had been practicing the scene so much i had like 10 improv lines that i could have used right and so i go in there 
and I do the and I do it how I want to do. It. I make it as funny as possible. They're dying laughing. They're just losing it. And then they go, oh, let's do it again, uh, but do it less improv. Do more close to the script. Then I do it close to the script, and it's not as funny. And they go, okay, you know, we're going to do another take. Do, can you do some more improv? Again, I had 10 lines planned. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my second choice. My second choice killed even harder. I'm murdering. The casting director sees me and is like, man, this guy's talented. He's funny. And I get a call back. I go in. I kill it. And then um, I didn't know this, but I wasn't SAG at the time. So I couldn't, so if you're not SAG, you basically can't do the show because they have to pay like all these SAG fees and do all this shit to get you on the show. And unless they really, really want you, they're not going to do that. They're not going to drop, they're not, they were paying, they're going to pay me like 1500 bucks. They're not going to drop an extra 2000, 3000 to pay my SAG fees, you know? So I didn't end up booking the part. I was really upset. And the casting director was like, um, you know, it was like really bummed because she was like, oh, fuck, I really wanted you to get, you really killed it. We really, they wanted to give it to you, but you just weren't sad. And I, I called my agent at the time. It was uh, an agent I fired. And I was like, why did you even put me in this audition? I'm not sag. And like, I, I, I'm crushed. I was about to be on an ABC show. Like, what the fuck? Like, I, I'm so upset. And he was like, well, I thought maybe if they liked you enough, they would pay your fees, blah, whatever. And uh, I got upset with him and blah, blah. But I kept in touch with that casting director. And every month or two, she'd email me and go, hey, Neil, do you want to come in for this? Cool. Neil, do you want to send her to tape for this? Cool. Do you want to do this? I booked two movies through this casting director. Wow. Two movies. Because That's awesome. Because once a month, because she, she saw me kill in the room, got my information, and said, this guy's talented. I'm going to keep bringing him in until somebody bites. And eventually, two people bite. Two people boat. I don't know. Uh, bited? Bit, 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 there we go. Boat. The fuck, boat. What the fuck am I talking about? Um, but yeah, so you know, when I when I say I can book stuff without my manager and agents, it's because of stuff like that. It's because you make connections and you you meet people and um, you keep in touch and you know that that's, that's how it works. It's so interesting. So, was this a, a stand up agent that got you in for these auditions, or you have an acting agent separately? So I don't really. I mean, I have a PA, which is personal appearance, which is stand up, which is like late night, um, anywhere where I'm Neil Nanda. Uh, he like whether it's like um, panel discussion, couch, um, stand up, like late night or yeah. that's a PA, and he also does touring, public appearance. Anytime where I'm I'm being billed as Neil Nanda, he does that. Uh, and then I have a talent agent who does all acting and television and film where I'm playing a part in something. How did you get an acting or talent agent? Was uh, it through stand-up? It was through stand-up, yes. So all that agents really want to see is that you can make money. So I we talked about earlier me uh, doing Comedy Central's Adam Devine's House Party. You mentioned that earlier. I booked that without an agent or a manager. And so as soon as I booked that, a bunch of agents and managers were like, who is this guy? He's got, he got on TV without an agent or a manager. He sounds like he can make money. It sounds like a network likes him. And he's booked it. He's going to Hawaii and he's making it. Like, we should jump on that. So when that happened, I met with agencies and managers and they were like, hey, we can, you know, we'll get you a team. We'll get you a lit agent, someone who can help you sell scripts. We'll get you a talent agent, someone who's helping you with television and film. We'll get you a, um, you know, PA, personal appearance. Um, I actually have a funny story about Adam Devine's. Uh, do you mind if I, I can, make, yeah, go I can do it. it quick. I don't know how much time we have. That's fine. My this is over. interesting. No, it doesn't matter. Okay. Some go I for hope a long. I hope somebody listening thinks this is Some interesting. Some go for an hour so and I'm a just half. being a fucking narcissist at this point. No, let's hear it. I want to hear it. So 
Comedy Central Adam Devine's house party is such a funny story to me because I basically forced myself onto the show. I um, I assaulted the show, I guess. I so I have a show at the Westside Comedy Theater every Friday night. I ho- I used to host a show at the Westside Comedy Theater. I don't host anymore because I travel so much. So I get a person to host it for me when I'm out of town, or I get a person to host it for me in general. So I'm hosting a show at the Westside Comedy Theater, 2014. 13 or 14 I, I can't remember the exact year I believe it's 13 14, somewhere at 13 or 14 I'm hosting the show Comedy Central emails me directly and goes and it's a producer from Comedy Central who I'm friends with I really like this guy he's my probably my favorite person there he's great so he emails me he goes hey Neil uh, I see that you run this show at the Westside Comedy Theater I'm reaching out from Comedy Central because we're setting up a showcase to showcase comedians for our comics to watch uh, which is a thing where comedians, if you book it, you become a com- you become one of Comedy Central's comics to watch. They bring you to a festival and you showcase for them, and then they look at you for their television shows. Like, oh, should he be on one of our shows? So I said, okay, cool. Um, and he was like, yes. Yeah, so what we like is we like to take over your show on Friday night, and. Um, you know, showcase 10 comedians for comics to watch. So you would have to rebook whoever you had and cancel your show or whatever. And I go, okay, that's cool. But can I get on the showcase? Can I do a spot? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, please. And they were like, you can host it, but you're not eligible. You won't be looked at. You're just going to host it. We'll be there and we'll see you, but you get, you're going to get nothing out of it. So I was like, okay, that's better than nothing. So I go and I do it. Again, I'm going to be a little cocky. Suck my own dick. I killed it. Knocked it out of the fucking park. I'm bringing my A material. I'm fucking beatboxing. I'm doing like just everything that I know works. Because I'm like trying to showcase for a comedy central. Yeah. They said I wasn't eligible. But I'm yeah, like. Yeah, but they're still seeing you. They're still seeing exactly. me. Let me knock it out of the park. Everybody at Comedy Central shakes my hand. Great job. That was awesome. I did so well. And this is no shade to anybody who was on the showcase. I did better than about, I think there was 10 people. I think I did better than nine of them on the showcase. I think it was maybe one set that was better than mine on the entire showcase. And it was sad because people couldn't follow my hosting, which is not a good sign, you know. So, sorry, no shade again. I mean, you know, showcases are tough. They're, they really are, and I really knocked it the fuck out of that park that day, So, which doesn't ever happen. So I was like, I shook everyone's hand at Comedy Central. They were so nice. And in my head, I'm like, yo, man. About to get a fucking TV show. I'm about to go into comedy. They're gonna call me for a meeting. I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna be like, uh, yeah, Thursday night, ten o'clock, then keeping it Neil show. You know, like I'm re- <laughs> I'm fucking ready. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, yo, yeah, keeping it Neil. Yeah, let's do ten thirty. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's cool. I think that'll be good. Yeah, it's kind of like the Chappelle show, but but funnier. You know, whatever. You know. So <laughs> I I legit, in my head, I'm like, I'm about to be famous. I'm blow up. I don't hear from Comedy Central for a year, for an entire year. I don't hear any no meeting. No TV show, nothing. Ego deflated. Pew. Yeah. A year, damn. A year later, Comedy Central hits me up. They go, Hey Neil, um, it's really great that you're still running your show at the Westside Comedy Theater. We would like to uh, have a showcase and um, at your show Friday night, this date. So uh, if you want to reschedule everybody, that'd be really cool. We'd really appreciate it. Same producer at Comedy Central. I hit him back and go, Hey man, um, thank you again for letting me host last year. That was awesome, um, but uh, and and I'm happy to let you guys host it. Could I please 
just get a showcase spot and be eligible for a showcase this year. Very nicely. I wasn't like, give me that spot. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, very kindly, uh, I would really appreciate it if uh, I could showcase seven minutes, seven to eight minutes. I it would be a dream come true. You know, like <laughs> you became I'm, Obama. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, you know, I appreciate. And uh, I appreciate uh, Malia <laughs> and Sasha. And so, <laughs> so uh, I hit him back and I go, hey man, you know, I had a great time. And they, they even said in the email, they're like, hey man, you did a great job hosting last year. We'd love to have it back at your thing. And I go, all right, man, could I get a, could I please get a showcase this year? Nope. Again? Two years? Are you serious? This is, this is unbelievable. I'm losing my mind. And I'm like, okay, <sighs> can I host it again and not be eligible? Yeah, sure. You can host it and not be eligible. So I'm like, all right, fine. It's about seven to 10 days before the showcase. And I get a last minute. At, there's a club in San Francisco that hits me up and somebody had dropped, some famous comedian had dropped. And they were like, hey, Neil, can you come up? I know it's last minute, but can you come up and headline a night here this Friday night? at this club there's we've already sold 300 tickets and we'll pay you such. i was like i mean you're giving me so much money comedy central's not even looking at me so i emailed comedy central go hey guys i'm so sorry but this club in san francisco a great club in san francisco by the way it was doc's lab and i was like they hit me up and i'm doing uh you know uh, i'm doing an hour there i'm headlining and they're paying me a lot so i have to not I have to cancel the showcase. I hope if you need help finding a host, whatever, you know, and uh, then they email me back like, whoa, you're headlining Doc's Lab? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, all right, cool, man. We'll, we'll give you a showcase next week. And I was like, that did it? Not me asking and doing well, whatever. Anyways, so I go in. So just the fact that they asked you to headline got you a spot? Yeah, because I think the, the producer at Comedy Central was like impressed that I was headlining a big club. So he was like, maybe we should be looking at Neil. You know, and I was like, "Hey, what about last year when I fucking killed it?" You know, or whatever. But anyway, so dumb. I, it, it's wow. this industry is really weird. But I didn't harbor any resentment. I wasn't. I, I wasn't hateful. Or they spiteful. just need the social proof of someone else giving you validation. There, the, you have to have heat and shit. It doesn't matter how funny. It, it, this industry is really. This, I have a thousand examples of this, by the way. So, anyways, I go to San Francisco. I do my headlining gig. I come back to LA, and that next week I'm doing that Comedy Central showcase. Same thing, man. I go in. And I fucking destroy. I fucking bring it. I bring the A game. I bring the house down. I fucking roof blows off. Again, I go, all right, yeah. So next week when they set up that meeting, I'm going to sell that show. I'm going to go in there. 1030, cool. Keeping it, Neil. You know, is that tight? Whatever. I get a meeting this time. I get a general meeting. I go in there. I meet development. I meet uh, the head of specials. I meet uh, head of scripted and blah, blah blah. I meet all the people and I'm in there like with five ideas in my head like, all right, yeah, yeah. So keep it in Neil. This is how we, this is how we open. You know, they don't want to hear shit. They just want to get to know me. It's a general meeting. Where are you from? How long you been doing this? What kind of stuff you working on? Blah, blah. They don't want to hear any of my ideas. They don't want me to, this isn't a pitch meeting. I went in there with the wrong mentality. I have five ideas ready to go. Didn't get to sell my show, but I was like, okay, well, at least I met with them. Seems like they like me. Cool. So this is a comics to watch showcase, and they're booking comics to watch. And six months later, or maybe three, three to four months later, I get a phone call from an intern that I know at Comedy Central, uh, who's not there anymore. Michelle, great, good friend of mine, awesome. She's at a production company now, and uh, she was an intern there at the time. She calls me. I'm at a college gig. She calls me right before I'm going on stage, like 20 minutes before I go on stage. I'm in the green room. She goes, "Hey, Neil." I go, hey, what's up? She goes, uh, just want you to know that everyone at Comedy Central really likes you. We, re- we really are big fans of yours. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, uh, thanks. And then she's like, 
yeah, I just want you to know, like, you know, in case you feel like we're not fans of yours, really big fans of you. We, we think you, you did a great job at the showcase last year. You did a great job at the showcase this year, and, and we really love your material. And I'm on the phone with her, like, why are you why are you calling me about this? And I was, like, literally about to go on. I'm like, all right, well, I got to go on stage in a minute, but this is a really weird phone call, but thank you. And I hang up, and then I do my college show. I wake up the next morning, and the comics to watch list comes out, and guess who's not on it? This fucking guy. Me, by the way, because you can't see me pointing at myself. Uh, I'm not on the list. So she called me as like a uh, to prepare me to be upset, I guess, because like oh. she, she thought I would wake up in the morning and see, which I didn't even care. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, I had a lot of friends on it. I was happy for them. And I think she called me to make me feel like, hey, just so you know, like it wasn't because we didn't like you. Lighten the blow. Yeah, yeah, lighten the blow. Exactly. So then the phone call made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that that was what was about to happen. I didn't know they were about to drop the list and shit. So I was a little, you know, a little bummed or whatever. And it did lighten the blow. I was like, well, you know, she likes me. And, you know, and in my head, I was like, I'll showcase against this. I'll showcase again this next year and blah, 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 whatever. A few months later, I get an email out of nowhere that's like, hey, uh, are you available December, blah, 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 to do Adam Devine's house party on Comedy Central? I'm like, oh, shit. They're putting me on their network. This is crazy. And I'm like, yes, of course. And I uh, I didn't have a manager or agent at the time. So I was like, they were like giving me all the information. So I was like, oh, yes, yes, of course. I will be there. Yeah, I will fly to Hawaii. Of course, you know, whatever. And so they're like, all right, cool, cool. We'll keep in touch. And um, then that same intern called me. And um, I was, again, on my way to a show. It's always funny. She called me on the way to a show. She calls me and she goes, hey, just so you know, uh, I've known for a long time that you're going to get Adam Devine's house party. I just couldn't tell you. I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, that's why I called you that day to let you know that, um, you know, y- we still like you and we love you and whatever. We like your material. We're, we're putting you past the comics to watch those and just putting you on Comedy Central. <laughs> and I was like, oh, tight. That's beautiful. I, I wish you would have just told me that, you know, that day. But she was like, I couldn't tell you. They just were making decisions and blah, blah, blah. And, but she was like, we clearly wanted you to be on the show. So uh, I, but we were still making decisions about like 20 other people or whatever. So I couldn't tell you that. And so that was the long, arduous process of booking one thing on Comedy Central. I had to literally force myself onto two showcases, do a general meeting, knock at the thing, wait another six months. It was just such a long and crazy process that I don't think I would have done had I not had the balls to be like, can I get a showcase? Can I get one? Yeah. Please? I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. Nobody was, nobody was doing this for me. Nobody was emailing them for me or telling them you should give me a little showcase but i was doing that so you know i think so the way i got an agent was after that was them seeing that i booked something and been like how the fuck did he do this because usually a manager or an agent would have to reach out to even get that showcase that's so cool so that that's was so my story that was a long story and, and a really crazy story and i have I, to be your I, own advocate i here. just think it's a really funny story be, or not even funny but it's an interesting story of me pushing my luck and and like really just asking for that's what cool I want. being yeah. some people might not do that and I almost some people didn't. are like oh it's pushy but I, I like, almost it's didn't. not I almost didn't I almost okay. I almost said I almost like and again I did it politely both times I didn't I wasn't like hey man but you got to give me a spot or something or like hey man you better yeah. give me so I was like I would really appreciate it uh it would mean a lot to me if I could just do seven minutes and be eligible and I don't think they had heard of my comedy I, yeah. I don't think they had ever seen me do stand-up so that first year when I hosted, they were like, oh, he's really good, but like I've never seen him, so maybe this was a fluke, you know? And then that second year when I uh, did the showcase, they're like, oh, he's really good. I guess it's not a fluke, you know? And that's how I got the thing. But it took three years to book that show. 
because I, I did the showcase one year, did the sh- uh, as a host, did the showcase again uh, on the lineup, didn't get the comics to watch, and then the next like in the next six months to a year, I booked out a Divine's house party. That's so cool. So that that's was inspiring. That's the story, man. That's um, the story. I wanted to ask before we um, end off. Um, I wanted to go back to kind of the beginning stuff. Um, sure. When you were talking about like selling out these venues and like selling out hundreds of tickets you said you were just over the years you like found fans and how did you retain these fans social like, what media. did you do just like instagram facebook instagram facebook twitter email list um there's a thing i do i mean listen man i don't sell out every show all over the country i'm not a name i'm not a huge draw i i've been very fortunate to have built a bit of a draw through going to places and selling 50 tickets and then 30 of them return and bring friends and you know going to a club that has that has a bit of a draw itself and you know uh, making fans of those people I've never met before who haven't seen me before so that you know you have to methodically um, you have to get your name out there man you I, I give out stickers after every show that has my Instagram handle on it so I get a lot of followers I literally you know like 500 people in Brea yesterday and there was 400 people in San Diego on Friday or Saturday and I gave out, you know, I have 2,000 stickers, and I just handed it out to everybody, gained two, 300 followers, you know? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, I, and I hand out the stickers, and I go, yo, uh, follow me, and I will let you know next time I'm in town, and I'll get you a discount or free tickets. So people are like, all right, deals. Fucking, I love deals. And they'll follow me, and I'll, I'll gain a bunch of fans and followers and stuff. And I posted a thank you uh, from San Diego, being like, hey, thank you, San Diego, for coming out. 20, 30 people DM me on Instagram or commented on Instagram. That was a great show. Thank you so much for having me or whatever. And I was like, keep in touch. You know, like, I'll get you tickets to the next show or I'll get you half off or whatever. So um, you just got to build and retain those fans. Also, this is another marketing thing. I I guess I shouldn't be embarrassed about it because it works. I'll even, I'll call, this is something that I learned from Daniel Tosh. Because Daniel Tosh, apparently, I've heard through the, 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 the grapevine that he would do stuff like this. Um... Say I'm going to a club in Minneapolis. I'll find out what's around the club, and I'll call businesses, uh, businesses, schools, restaurants, whatever. Pretend to be Neil Nanda's manager, giving you a promo code for half-off tickets, exclusive deals, shit like that. I'll call 50 to 100 places, and just, just to fucking... And then the club's like, oh, shit, we sold out. And I'm like, yeah, cause I called like 100 people. You know, my manager doesn't have time to do that, but I don't have shit going on in my life. I need shit to do, so I will do shit like that too. Wow. I'll, I'll do dumb shit like that, and uh, on top of internet marketing, promoting, building followers, fans, things like. Do that. Do you have one medium of like social media or like email list or whatever that's the most um, successful for you? I mean, email list is really important. I'm just starting to get an email list together and really organize it, so it's been somewhat fruitful. You use Mailchimp. Mm-hmm. Mailchimp's great. And um, I also, and Instagram, I would say, sells more tickets than any of my other social media, Twitter. For advertising, do you ads? I, some, I just started doing ads. I just switched over to a business account like a few months ago. And I just started doing ads. And I don't know if the ads are really contributing or helping, but um, I just have followers that are in cities. And I, I, a lot of times I'll even be like, yo, where are y'all at? What city would you like me to come to? And then I'll get like a read of where my people are at. Like, oh, Chicago. How many followers do you have on Instagram? Not that many. Like almost about 8,000 or so. Which it's pretty is, good though. It's a good start. If they're loyal. 
followers exactly. instead of like spammy that's like the freaking thing. random ass that's the thing i do not want and i do not tr- and I, I do not try to get fake followers i do not want nor do i so this the 8000 people those are all people cuz you want them to be engaged not it, like i want them to be engaged i want them to buy tickets i want them to share my clips and um by the way this 8000 has it's pretty recent i i have basically in the last three to six months gone from four to eight is as ba- oh, wow. basically doubled you do something differently posting a lot of stand-up post which clips go, clips goes on the explore sometimes we'll go on the explore page oh that'll Some, do it sometimes yeah that'll do it i don't it. even know how that works i don't either it's algorithm is what it is it's instagram all of these platforms have an algorithm that fucks with you that helps you out if you are consistent if you if I, I drop a clip every Tuesday now and I can it goes 1200 it goes 1800 views 10,000 views uh 17,000 views cuz it's consistent uh, it's consistency one clip will go 80,000 one clip will go 330,000 then nice. a clip will go 2000 4,000. Sometimes it like almost starts over or whatever. I don't know what the algorithm is. I don't work at Instagram. I don't work at these things, but I drop a clip every Tuesday at 2 p.m. and half of them, 50% of them have gone viral. Really? 50% of them have, I mean, viral in the sense of like 100,000. Do you use like hashtags and stuff? No. It'll just go, it may go on the explore page. And if I, if I have a clip, now that I have a business profile, now that I've had it for a few months, if I have a clip that I know people will like, like this clip is hot and it's funny and people are responding to it, I'll uh, do a promotion with it and I'll get like thirty to fifty thousand um, views and uh, like two to three hundred followers from that. So in the past like three to four months, I've gone from four thousand to eight thousand from just clips, and that means people are seeing my stand up and going, "Oh, I'm a fan of his stand up." Wow. In fact, when I post a picture of myself. For some reason, I lose 20, 25 followers. But if I post a stand-up clip, I gain 100 to 300 followers, you know? so Or not not always 100, sometimes like 53 or 87 or whatever. But every time I post a stand-up clip, I gain a lot. Every time I post a picture, I lose a few because they go, I don't want to see your face. And I'm like, come on. You know, sometimes I'll post a picture and be like, hey, I'm in San Diego, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, uh, that's not why I'm following you. I'm following you for your fucking clips. So I'll lose like 20 people every time I post a thing. That's funny. But every time I post a stand-up clip, I'll gain 100 to 300 or whatever, you know, whatever the oh. range is. 58 to 350 or something. So in the last four months, consistently, I have, I mean, at first it was inconsistent. At first I was doing it like, I would do like one on Tuesday and then one the next Thursday and then one the next Friday and then one Tuesday and then one whatever. So I was doing it like, Every like seven to fifteen days, I was dropping a uh-huh. clip, and I was gaining a little bit, little by little. And then I started going. Let me see what happens when I do it consistently. Every Tuesday at two p.m., I did that for a couple months, consistently. Hundred followers, hundred fifty, two hundred, three hundred, and it's exponential growth. So when I have when I had four thousand followers, it was very hard to get to five thousand. When I had five thousand followers, it was a little easier to get to six thousand. When I got six thousand, it was a little easier to get to seven thousand. I'm at 7,900 or something right now. That 900 came in the last 10 days. Wow. So it's exponential growth. So once I get to 8,000, it'll be seven to 10 days to get to 9,000. And then once you get to 10K, it it just, you know, it's exponential. That's so interesting. 
it's like you got to make money or you got to have money to, to make money or spend money to make money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Work begets work. Uh, followers begets followers. Money begets money. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it is it is interesting. I don't, you know, this is a really interesting conversation because this is like a very narcissistic, we're talking about followers and, and touring and stuff. But it is it is interesting. And, you know, I think there is so much value to it. I think a lot of people put this weird pressure on like, oh, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. Uh, yeah, it does. King Bach can sell out fucking theaters all over the country because he has a million followers. You yeah. know what I mean? It does fucking matter. You know, don't don't lie to me and be like, oh yeah, just work on your craft. Yeah, work on your craft too. Work on your stand up too. You can also work on your following and and your fans and your people that you're trying yeah. to reach. Because that's the entrepreneur side. That's how you're gonna sell tickets. That's the business side. A lot of uh, comedians don't have business acumen, and and honestly, to be successful, you gotta have both. You know, the, had the best business acumen in the game. Kevin Hart. Oh, yeah. Kevin Hart had the absolute best business acumen. He had a crew, had a team of people building an email list, touring all over the country, uh, you know, papering room, doing yeah, everything. He's, he, he's a company. He's a company. He's an LLC, man. He's a fucking corporation, that dude. And there's a reason why he made $100 million last year or whatever that year. What was it? twenty? It was one year where he was fourth yeah, number yeah, one yeah. selling highest paid comedian. Wow. It, was, it was about $100 million. And it's like, yeah. Because he has business acumen, because he did it right. So, That's so cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm embarrassed to talk about this a little bit, but I'm also like, yeah, other comedians hate this. They do, they do. But you know what? Do comedians listen to this podcast? I hope so. I think so. You think so? Probably. Uh oh. <laughs> um, not a lot. I, mean, I don't know. Google. Some uh, comedians, people that are interested in getting into comedy. Mostly. Okay. Well, yeah. this is for you then. This is for them. This is for people that are interested in getting into comedy. Be not. I hope there aren't going to be a bunch of comedians who listen to this and are like, God damn it, Neil's a fucking oh, narcissistic dickhole. But, um, you know. But I'm well, just... the whole point of this podcast is like to combine the comedy and the entrepreneurship side of things. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I think it's important, and I think it's important to talk about. I think it's important to um, work on. And I think it's just important in general. So yeah. Well, is, thanks, is dude. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything um, coming up? You know, I don't have too many tour dates, but I'm going to be booking a lot soon. I'll be in Seattle soon uh, in a couple weeks, and I'll be back in San Diego at the end of April. But you know what? Just check my website, neilnanda.com. I post all my shows up there. I keep it updated. I will be on the East Coast um, probably May. I'll probably be in New York, Boston, Philly, that area. I'll be in Atlanta in May, uh, my hometown. And, um, yeah, just check, check my website for dates. Follow my Instagram at Neil Nanda. I post all my dates and clips there. I'll be posting a ton of YouTube stuff. Neil Nanda again on everything cross platform at Neil Nanda on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow me wherever I'll be posting all my clips everywhere. And I'll be posting all my dates everywhere. Nice. So, so check it out. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin NASA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.